heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Well, our Supreme Court has stepped up and decided that they are going to review seven controversial issues. They will hear these cases in the near future after they take their short break. Now, I am very excited to hear about that because we oftentimes wonder what the Supreme Court really is doing much uh, of the time. We are here in a critical time of American history, and sometimes we think that perhaps the Department of Justice is really dropping the ball, you know, in a big way, not doing the job that they should. But what I would like to invite you to do with me today is just um, go over these seven cases and let's decide how controversial they are or whether or not they should be controversial or should we be looking at other more pertinent things? And that's something that I think you as a listener need to decide. And uh, finally, what we want to do is kind of decide and and look at uh, how the decisions might affect us as a nation and as individuals. This is the Voice of a Nation, Malcolm at Eight. I am Dr. Steve LaTulip on the Voice of a Nation team. And I'm always excited to see um, our government actually in action. We have three branches, and uh, I'm absolutely Uh, disappointed in two of those branches. We have a legislative branch consisting of uh, lawmakers uh, on both sides, Democrat and Republican. And truthfully, it seems not to make any difference anymore. So um, it's been very disappointing. I keep hoping things will change. Um, We have an absolute absence, if you will, of the executive branch of government. We know that Joe Biden is simply not there. He is not mentally fit or capable of ruling a nation. He wasn't fit on the day he took office. And so, you know, I still have some hope that our judicial branch of government may actually still remain somewhat functional. I think it has been a little bit bipolar in the decisions. And that's we because we do have some liberal uh, Supreme Court justices still on the panel. We have some that are very good conservatives, and I praise them. And then we have some that I think are a mixed bag, frankly, even though Donald Trump did appoint um, three Supreme Court justices during his uh, administration, he's, we haven't seen a whole lot of fire from these people. And particularly when it comes to the real critical issues. So um, what I'd like to do is just start and, and go through some of these cases and have you decide how controversial they are, number one, and number two, how 
critical are the cases? In other words, what significance do they really have in our lives? How will they affect us as Americans, as individuals? How might our future be changed based on those decisions? And from there, maybe um, just kind of hash out what the Supreme Court possibly ought to be discussing in addition to these. Well, the first case that they are deciding to hear is uh, with regards to the Trump t-shirt trademark. The case is Vidal versus Elster, court file 22-704, if you're interested in looking that up. The background to this case is that a, this progressive activist and lawyer, Steve Elster, decided that he wants to go into business, I guess a t-shirt business, and he wants to trademark a very belittling phrase aimed at Donald Trump for a t-shirt logo. And the logo simply states three words, Trump too small. Now, this was based on comments made uh, back in the 2016 primary, believe it or not, if you remember, that was a time when we had a lot of people running for office. And frankly, Donald Trump kind of uh, ruled supreme even uh, in, in the primaries where he kind of shredded everybody. But, you know, Senator Marco Rubio, who's kind of a young guy, he is uh, a Republican senator from Florida. Well, he mocked Donald Trump during that 2016 primary for having small hands. Now, um, I think that's kind of petty. Uh, I think, okay, it it sounds like... uh, Rubio learned his lessons maybe from Donald Trump because Donald Trump did throw out a lot of insults at a lot of people. Donald Trump is pretty bold and he can be pretty brash and he's not afraid to insult you to your face. Um, On the other hand, he has a lot of praise for some people too. And of course, loyalty is always an issue to him. So of course, when you have a primary, all of his uh, all of the other runners for the presidency are, in a, in essence, an opponent to Trump. So Trump has no problem with putting them in their place. Um, and if they challenge him, he will take on the threat face to face. And so Rubio, I, I kind of admire Rubio because, uh, you know, we talk about fighting fire with fire. Well, that's exactly what Rubio was doing during this case. But uh, what about this attorney, this lawyer, Steve Elser? He wants to trademark the words Trump too small. So uh, he's kind of taking the tip from Rubio and said, yeah, I like that. He, he insulted Donald Trump. Let me put this on a t-shirt because, you know, the, the left has to do everything they can to take down Donald Trump because Donald Trump is the only real threat to the system right now. I mean, it's hard to say that as an individual, how can one individual be such a threat? But that's just a fact. He is, they fear him terribly. And so um, a logo on a t-shirt, Trump too small, well, I guess could be a controversial issue. The real issue is that they are using for a logo as a business, the personal name of a living person. So the question is, is this, does this become libel? Is it uh, a defamatory writing of some kind that should, that violates some law? Um, I don't know exactly how this became an issue. Um, personally, 
I don't see this as a big deal. I don't know if you do, but and maybe I'm missing something. But, you know, starting off at the first case, is this truly a crucial issue for the Supreme Court that they have to answer this? Um, and then I start thinking about it. Well, how does this differ, for example, from the slogan, let's go, Brandon, right? We know how that came about. Um, and, uh, you know, let's go, Brandon doesn't have the name Joe Biden in it, but it is a slogan and uh, it could be used on a, a T-shirt. Of course, we've seen it on flags. We've seen it on bumper stickers. Everybody knows what you mean. Let's go, Brandon. It means that we have somebody in the White House that is totally unfit uh, for such service. But the question, I guess, is when does something become liable? When does it become slander and not just free speech? So maybe that's the big issue here. If I, if I would want to elevate this to a controversial case of significance, and I'd say, okay, this is a free speech issue. So, And that's exactly what the lawyer Steve Elster is saying. That's his argument. Look, he says, I have a right to free speech. So... I can say Trump too small and use that and profit off of Trump's name, um, regardless of what anybody might think. Now, interestingly, I am curious about what Donald Trump really thinks of this. Personally, my gut feeling is that I, I think he, he wouldn't even waste time with this. I, I think that the issue is too small. Not that Trump's hands are too small. Um, I'm kind of a small guy. I have small hands. Um, a lot of my patients found that favorable. I did obstetrics and gynecology and delivering babies, doing vaginal exams and things like that as a medical doctor. You know, I, I was gentle and I had small hands. And um, both I and my patients found that sometimes to be very favorable. So uh, what's the issue with small hands? When I worked in avionics in the military uh, in my enlisted days very early on in my uh, career, um, I was kind of a contortionist because of my small hands. I could get into really tight places and do some great things. So I personally would not take it as an insult of having small hands. It doesn't mean you have weak hands. It doesn't mean you have a weak mind or a weak body. You're, it's, it's just a description of anatomy. So in a sense, it's a really a cheap shot, but it's a petty thing to me. So is this really a crucial issue that has to be taken on by the Supreme Court? Well, obviously, the Supreme Court felt it was. So... I'm hoping they're going to raise the issue of free speech because that is exactly what Steve Elster is saying. He says, I have a right to say what I want, and therefore I have a right to put it in print what I want. And that exactly is written into the First Amendment. So he might actually have a case here. Um, what prolonged significance will that have? I have no idea. I really don't. Um, so, you know, if you have any ideas, if you can help me out on this, please do write in, uh, give me your comments and make it known. Okay, so that's the first case. Um, a second case it ha has, I think, much more significance. It, it pertains to a Supreme Court landmark with the Bruin, B-R-U-E-N, decision. Now, this stems from um, a Supreme Court decision in June of 2022 
2022, when the court declared a constitutional right to bear arms in public places for self-defense. Now, the current law holds that a person having a restraining order cannot bear arms. Now, there's other cases where you cannot bear arms. That is, if you are a convicted felon. Um, and there, of course, are certain places where all people are still restricted from carrying arms. We cannot carry a uh, a concealed handgun into an airport that is off limits. And so it is with other government buildings, such as courtrooms. And whether we like it or not, um, there are just some places that we are not allowed to legally carry a concealed weapon or a weapon of any kind in, in many instances. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, um, with the exception that if we are restricted from carrying a handgun in a public place where there is no security, armed security that is, present uh, and in close proximity, then uh, you and I, if we were in that location, are vulnerable. Now, that's a concern, okay? And that's the very issue that was recently raised by the New Mexico governor, Grisham, uh, when she imposed her absolutely unconstitutional lawless order that already has been shot down, and hopefully she will be removed from office. But anyway, the background on this case is that a, a Suspected drug dealer, a less than ideal citizen, you might say, a Zaki Rahimi, R-A-H-I-M-I, violated a restraining order and he did enter a guilty plea. And then he was later involved in five different shooting incidents after this restraining order was entered in February of 2020. Uh, what were those incidents? Well, a few of them, when he fired a gun at a passerby who witnessed him dragging his girlfriend through a parking lot. You know, you can almost picture him dragging her by the hair or by the clothing. And uh, somebody tried to intervene or said something to him. And he fired a gun at the passerby. Now, that is pretty serious stuff, especially when you consider, like, if I was carrying concealed in public, if I exposed a handgun in a way that says, uh, beware, I am armed and dangerous. That's called brandishing. And I could get 10 years in prison for doing that if the situation did not warrant me pulling out that handgun. Not knowing when to expose a handgun can get you in prison uh, for a long time. So he fired a handgun at this passerby. A couple months later, uh, he was involved in an auto accident and the guy apparently that he was in the collision with, uh, he fired shots at the driver. So th this guy is obviously out of control. He lacks self-control. This is not the kind of a guy that you would want carrying a handgun. And then if that weren't enough, a year later, he actually threatened a woman with a gun and uh, this was in Fort Worth, Texas, and he was charged with aggravated assault in this case. 
And then uh, in 2021, he fired several, several shots into the air after his friend's credit card was declined at a fast food restaurant near Fort Worth. So obviously, this guy is out of control. He is a menace to society. He is a danger to himself and to others. I would not feel comfortable knowing this guy was in the room with me and carrying a handgun. So uh, it's pretty straightforward to me that this guy should not likely be carrying a handgun. But the issue has been raised now. And repeat, uh, because of the Bruin decision, that we have a constitutional right to bear arms in public places for self-defense, Rahimi is now asking the court to review his conviction in light of the Bruin decision, uh, because that changes the Second Amendment jurisprudence. So what he's saying is, look, I know that I, I said I was guilty of uh, violating a restraining order, but is that restraining order reason enough to restrict my ability to defend myself in public? Well, I guess the issue itself is worthy of consideration. I'll say that. And I'm trying to be fair. And, I, and I'm just talking about a person in general. If you had a restraining order placed against you, um, sometimes a restraining order can be obtained like say in a domestic dispute or something like that, or if there's a divorce pending and things get a little heated as they often do, someone decides to retaliate and, and file a restraining order to make you look bad in court uh, when the divorce time comes, that sort of thing. You could see where somebody's right, uh, constitutional right for to carry a weapon to bear arms could be uh, wrongfully imposed on someone. And I, I think that's the issue here. But this guy, Rahimi, do you think he has a right to own and carry a gun? I mean, based on everything that I've seen, I'd say you've you got to be crazy to let this guy have a gun. But I would also say to Governor Lujan Grisham of New Mexico, you idiot, that this guy is the very kind of a guy who will carry a gun regardless of what the law says. He obviously has no respect for the law. And so I, th I think it's a clear and cut case that this guy is incompetent. I think he will lose his decision, but I still think it might be a valid issue to hammer out in light of the Bruin decision, who has a right to carry a weapon, either concealed or openly, in a public place. Where do you draw the line? I mean, is it if you have five traffic tickets, if, uh, do you have a restraining order against you? Do you have a substantiated history of domestic violence? You know, you it, it's not always clear cut where you got to draw the line. And so maybe the Supreme Court needs to step in and make a decision on this and we could all possibly benefit from it. Because the truth is we do not want to restrict anyone from uh, being deprived of a, a God-given right. You know, a right to life uh, means that you have a right to self-defense. And 
you know, the old country saying um, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's a God-given thing. You know, we have a will to preserve our lives. We have a will to preserve the lives of our loved ones. Um, some of us with a strong conviction about justice, about freedom, about uh, peace and law and order, uh, we even have a conviction to protect our neighbor or anyone who is in our vicinity who might be victimized by a criminal. And we've seen that good people carrying weapons is always a good thing. And um, concealed carriers, uh, permitted carriers ha have saved a lot of lives. And we're, we have increasingly a number of states now that have um, permit-free carry. It's called constitutional carry. These people are going to do a lot of good. And so it's a tough issue to hammer out where we draw that line. But what we want to be certain of is that good people get to carry a weapon if they so choose. Now, with that, of course, comes a responsibility to know what you're doing. Uh, in my opinion, one of the most important things that anyone carrying a handgun uh, needs to know is when not to pull out that handgun. Because once you do, you have just opened yourself up to who knows what. And particularly in this day and age where the Department of Justice has turned itself into the Department of Injustice. I don't trust the judicial system anymore. I don't trust. I have zero trust for the FBI thugs who are arresting January 6th people who simply showed up and protested a stolen election. I have a big problem with that. Likewise, with the CIA, who's been known to be involved in the child sex trafficking, who have done a lot of ugly things in foreign countries, brought drugs into our own country. There's a lot of nonsense that goes on. And I just simply have no trust for our Department of Justice. And I don't think I'm alone. So, this landmark decision uh, uh, of the of the Bruin decision um, has to be clarified. It sounds like, and I think that is probably a worthy case. And I see no controversy whatsoever with regard to this uh, Zaki Rahimi, who is just a, a criminal who has criminal intent on his brain. I think all the time he's uh, pretty much a known drug dealer. Uh, this guy probably ought not to be carrying a firearm. So yeah, I wish him luck. And uh, I certainly hope that our judicial system has a sense to say, no, somebody like a Rahimi cannot carry concealed. Uh, he'll probably do it anyway, because he is likely to be a criminal. And that's why we must always have the good guys out there ready to respond appropriately based on good common sense, good training, and a calm mind. Uh, keep in mind also that those who do carry concealed, uh, we are given a great responsibility to be outstanding citizens. We never want to escalate anything. So it does have uh, significant ramifications. We'll see where that goes. Um, I'll be real curious to see what they conclude on that one. Uh, the third issue, the third case that they are going to be looking at, I think has a great deal of significance. 
It is controversial. It is new in the social media age. And the case pertains to social media blocking. There are actually two cases under this um, this topic, this title. Uh, the first is O'Connor uh, Ratcliffe versus Garnier. And the other is uh, Lindkey versus Freed. So there are two cases uh, under this one heading. And the significant uh, concern here is that many opponents of government officials have been blocked on social media. Uh, I sometimes uh, get on Gitter. I've been kicked off of, of Twitter, which is now X, enough times that I don't have the faith in Elon Musk, I suppose, that maybe I should, I don't know. Uh, I just uh, don't think I'll get back on Twitter. But on these um, social media platforms like Gitter, like Truth Social, um, Facebook and all, um, if you have a government official who is posting a government topic on there, uh, whatever it may be, you know, whatever issue they're contending for, then what they are doing is um, expressing usually their, their viewpoint and they being public figures discussing public issues are opening themselves up for feedback. And when a government official acting in that capacity um, blocks someone, uh, like if I were to, to say, you know, Elon Musk uh, cut me off, he, he, he just totally banned me for life a few times on Twitter and uh, I could get real angry and, um, and say, look, I had 30, 40, 50,000 followers, whatever, uh, or more. And uh, I don't like that. Well, if I started lambasting him on a social media platform where he could hear me and he had the power to block me, if he does acting as a government official, is that blocking in effect uh, a censorship, because if you are blocked by a government official, then you are effectively being censored by politicians or other influential people so that the opposing viewpoints are silenced. And that is called censorship. That is Big Brother. That is the communist playbook at work. And this actually became a controversy uh, controversy during President Trump's term in office. So it has increasingly been a problem. And I'm going to be really curious how this turns out. There is an attorney uh, associated with Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University. Her name is Katie Fallow, F-A-L-L-O-W. And she participated, her um, institute participated in a lawsuit against President Trump where they were supporting Trump. And they argued that government officials are required to accept feedback from the public. So that's the real um, concern that they have. And it has escalated since then. So any public forum is essentially an invitation for feedback from the audience. So if the public person discussing the issue decides to block you, then that is censorship and that prevents feedback from the audience, specifically opposing feedback. And that is what we call communism, Marxism, and so forth. The issue then is whether Americans 
can sue government officials for blocking them on social media. So it's very straightforward. The Supreme Court has to decide now whether a public official is actually engaging in a state action on social media that is subject to First Amendment rights. So that's the issue. Now, if I was, say, a governor or a senator or a legislator, um, you know, that this is what's going to be sorted out. What does that mean? Does that mean I cannot have my own personal Twitter account where I can speak my personal voice um, separate from the politics? Or just because I am in a government official, if you will, uh, then am I restricted from doing that? And must I uh, allow all feedback. See, that's where it gets sticky because if somebody is harassing you constantly, um, you know, some people want to just cut you off and say, be gone. Um, I tend not to do that. I've blocked a few people who are extremely vile and vulgar and hateful. But other than that, I, I pretty much don't like to block anybody. I like the feedback because I consider also that every time you block a person on social media, you also forfeit your opportunity to change their mind, to persuade them in a positive way. If you have something that you think is positive uh, to say, and you think that it needs to be heard and adhered to, then why would you want to block people, even the opposition? Because those are the very people that you want to convince that maybe you have a valid point. Maybe their lives would be better if they heard your opinion. So they're never going to hear your opinion anymore if you block them. So I think it's a great issue. I think it is definitely controversial. It is something that is very muddy and it does need to be sorted out. I think if I was a Supreme Court justice, I think that one would actually be fun. So is censorship ever justified? I mean, that's the real question here. Is censorship sometimes illegal or is it just unethical? Because there's a difference there. Illegal means you have violated a law. Unethical means you have violated your moral conscience. Big difference. And the implications, uh, of course, have different consequences. Uh, one with God, one with the, the legal system uh, in our lives every day. So we'll see how that one turns out. But I think it's going to be very interesting. So we'll get to the fourth case after a brief pause and I shall return. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Liberty at AmericaOutloud.com. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. 
For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Changing the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. And welcome back to The Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip, Malcolm at Eight. We are here today and every day for you to gain information and knowledge that is based, hopefully, on nothing but the truth, the whole truth, and every bit of that whole truth uh, without any censorship. If you would want to really delight yourself in a bunch of uh, good patriots who have something really good to say. I guarantee you, you will not be blocked, but you can access at americaoutloud.news all of these great articles, these wonderful podcasts, uh, and all kinds of news uh, back at uh, at americaoutloud.news. So I would really encourage you to go to that website. Uh, we now have a newsletter that is coming out regularly. You can sign up for that. It is free. Our whole intent in, in the, with the America Allowed Network is simply to save America. We are looking for seeking and striving for truth and liberty and justice for all. And you can also go to americaoutloud.shop for all of the latest in health and product innovations, Please do use the out loud code. We uh, give that to you so that you can get a 15% discount uh, for uh, lots of great products out there. And um, we want you to know that we are specifically here in every way simply to support you the American people. And we want to offer this to everybody. It does not matter to us whether you are a progressive, liberal, a conservative, a communist, or whatever. We want you 
to be involved with us. And I hope that if you are on the opposing side, that you would at least listen, because only through reasoning together can we ever hope to reach a, a decision and come together in uh, unity so that we have a better country. If you don't choose to have a better country, um, then please be prepared for a fight because we will gladly take issue with you. But we have a love for our country and that is the bottom line today. So I am presenting to you several cases that have been declared very controversial, so much so that the Supreme Court has stepped up and said, yeah, we need to hear these cases. And most of these cases will be heard uh, sometime this fall. So I'm excited to hear uh, some of them. So far, I've discussed with you the Trump t-shirt trademark uh, with the logo Trump too small on it. I think that's kind of petty, but it does have possibly a free speech issue. This attorney, uh, Elster, Steve Elster, wants to trademark this belittling phrase, which is aimed at Donald Trump. So everybody knows that Trump too small is going to pertain to Donald Trump. Um, I am not sure if Donald Trump himself would take issue with this. I personally would not. If I was some famous guy, and of course, they said La Tulip too small. Uh, I'd probably agree with you. My hands are too small. Um, I wish I was a couple inches taller sometimes. Uh, but you know what? We are what we are. We are who God made us, and God made us in the way He did with purpose. So we live it for that purpose. The Supreme Court landmark Bruin decision issue is a significant issue in hammering out who can carry concealed. Uh, in public or who can carry openly in public or constitutional carry where you do not have a permit to conceal a weapon. Uh, I am all for constitutional carry, but I am all for responsible carry. I think that if you are going to carry a handgun with the intent to possibly use it in all the right cases with the right justification, you have a responsibility to train, to educate yourself on the law of concealed carry and to always act wisely, to never act rashly, to put your temper aside if you have one, and to be responsible. But um, people who have blatant criminal tendencies, who act irrationally, who are hot-headed, these are the people who probably ought not to carry. And I think everybody would agree with that. Likewise, someone who is proven mentally unstable, unstable and uh, unpredictable, um, these are the people who probably ought not to carry. Uh, we want to we want to restrict as few people as possible, but we want to behave responsible uh, in deciding who should and should not enjoy the full privileges. Uh, bestowed to us uh, by the Constitution and by our God-given rights. So uh, I pray that the court will make a right decision on that. Uh, the third case, uh, which is actually two cases re regarding social media blocking, um, this is going to have, I think, uh, a real significant outcome depending on the decision. The issue is whether or not uh, public officials who are acting in a public capacity should be able to block you on social media. The blocking effectually is a form of censorship 
and it is a silencing of the opposition. And this is wrong. This is always wrong. This opposes free speech. So it's a very, very important issue. Censorship and free speech. Um, of course, uh, I could see this issue being raised because every liberal, every left winger that I meet seems to be so weak of mind. I, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's just uh, a problem I have, but I just see that they are so easily offended. They take offense at everything. And of course, their comeback is that you are a racist uh, or a misogynist or, or whatever ist they want to use just because they disagree with you. So I'll be really interested to hear on how they rule on the social media blocking case. I certainly wish that they would apply this to social media platforms because I have been banned from Twitter for life. It's been a few times. And, and each time I did it was for posting a very legitimate, uh, well-done medical study proving something opposite of the COVID-19 narrative, which we know is all a farce. It is uh, pseudoscience to the core. So I, I don't trust Elon Musk. I, I don't think that the Twitter platform has been fixed yet, but that's just my opinion. So uh, let's go on to case number four. And uh, the next one pertains to veteran education benefits. The case is Rudisil versus McDonough, court file 22-888, if you want to check it out. The background is this. On November 8th, the Supreme Court will actually rule on, case, on a case that could make $1.7 million uh, post-9-11 veterans el eligible for additional educational benefits that is going to cost the government billions of dollars potentially. So the petition actually has been filed by an, a former FBI uh, special agent, James Ruddisill, who is a decorated U.S. Army veteran. Now, I am a retired Air Force veteran. I actually enlisted two weeks after high school in 1975. And under that, in that time period, I was still under the... Um, uh, the Vietnam War era. So I uh, just as a result of signing up during that period of time, I was eligible for the Vietnam era uh, veterans education benefits. Now, I did not fight in the in the Vietnam War. I was too young. When I went in, it was over, but I still had the old GI Bill benefits from uh, that Vietnam War. I also had uh, other benefits, um, one under what I believe was called the Montgomery Bill, and there's been other bills since then. Before I retired as chief of medicine with the Oregon Air National Guard, uh, by that time we were involved in Desert Storm, and there was yet uh, another GI Bill um, post 9-11 uh, that provided additional benefits. So the real issue here is whether a veteran who qualifies for educational benefits under multiple GI Bill programs, like I've just described to you, uh, is it uh, required? To, are they required to use these up or to forfeit the benefits of one program in order to take advantage of benefits from another program? 
So we'll see how that turns out. Remember that the post 9-11 GI Bill was signed by President George W. Bush in 2008. Now that provides enhanced educational benefits over the peacetime Montgomery GI Bill. Now, it's interesting that it was signed at that time. I actually retired in 2007 in the fall, and um, I missed out on those benefits, even though I was dealing with Desert Storm. I was activated for a short time uh, during Desert Storm, but I, I was not eligible for the benefits because that new GI Bill had not yet been signed. So the VEEP program, as it's called, the Veterans Educational Assistance Program, by law, it permits us to use benefits from any program or a combination of programs for up to 48 months after discharge from service. Now, those programs, those benefits nowadays are much better than they were when I get in, when I had been enlisted and then commissioned, and I did use up all my uh, veterans' educational benefits. It was very helpful, and I was glad I had them, and I believe I worked hard for them. So what we really need to discuss about this, and I, I don't know if this will come out or not, I don't know what their focus is going to be in Supreme Court, but what is fair and reasonable to veterans, because that's what we should be after. I mean, veterans risk their lives. They Not everybody. I mean, some people are in communications. They're in an office, sitting in an office all day, stateside, never deploy. Um, and they still have the same benefits as those who are uh, dodging bullets, you know, on the battlefield. But um, the question is, is the use of multiple GI bills a form of double dipping, like almost like taking two retirements for a similar single job? Or, or should we also consider the periods of time that a veteran serves when assessing eligibility to use one or more programs? And further take it, if you will, what should we consider that those in combat action should be entitled perhaps to more benefits. Uh, when I was in the military as a flyer, all the aviators got um, fly pay because flying is inherently risky. I lost some good friends who died uh, from plane crashes and uh, flying is just an inherently dangerous business. You accept that and you just hope you make it through to fly another day, but the risk is there. And so we got a little bit more money because we put ourselves at risk in that way for the sake of our country. So it's a, a significant issue, one that we should consider. The fifth uh, case pertains to property seizure. The case is Cully versus Marshall, court file number 22-585. Uh, in this case, there were two women who actually filed a class action federal lawsuit because their automobiles were seized by local governments, even though these people themselves, these women, committed no crime whatsoever. They claimed that they received no due process by Alabama municipalities that failed to properly justify their actions. So the Supreme Court's going to hear this case on October 30th. It's coming up uh, uh, before too long, a few more weeks here. One person, uh, Halima Cully, who is... Um, filing the complaint, had her auto seized when her son was arrested while he was using her car. The car was taken from her, and she claims a 14th Amendment violation 
against her by failing by the local government municipality failing to provide her with a prompt post-deprivation hearing. In other words, they took her car. She wasn't able to, to drive it. So they seized her private property and punished her for something that she did not do. She wanted an answer as to how they could justify doing this. She was entitled by law to a hearing. So the issue here is civil asset forfeiture. Forfeiture, which is a controversial legal procedure in which a law enforcement official has the ability to take someone's assets from people who are suspected of criminal or illegal activity without necessarily charging the owners with wrongdoing. Now, that's the same thing that happened with the January 6th hostages who were thrown in, in prison, given no chance of getting out on bail, held for over a year, many of them, and some I think are still being held, um, against their wishes that this is called a uh, lack of due process. And this is a crime. This is a crime against innocent citizens. So I think this property seizure case um, has some real significant merit. Um, it, it really does, because in a sense, um, what it is saying, it's a case of guilty until proven innocent, isn't it? I mean, it really is. Um, I know what this feels like personally. My medical license was seized from me, if you will, um, because I was accused of being a danger to my patients for not masking. Now, we know the mask does nothing. It is worthless. I and my staff never got sick, and yet they totally destroyed me. There was no due process whatsoever, but that's what some of these agencies do. They're not elected officials. They are just hired for a job, and they assume and take all this authority to oppress people. And so I think this is a great issue that can affect any one of us in this day and age. I mean, how many of you have children who uh, went uh, wayward? You know, they deviated, they're into drugs, they're into who knows what, and then they come and ask you to borrow a car or to stay at the house for a night. What if they commit a crime in your house? Can they seize your house? You know, this is a, a potentially a, a big issue. Uh, you could just see the government forcing you out of your house because it is potentially a crime scene. So you can't go back there. For how long? Well, if there's no due process, it could be for years. You might never see that house again. Who knows? I don't trust the Department of Justice. I just don't. And in my opinion, I think that just makes plain good sense. What do you think? Um, please give me some feedback on this. I, I'd like to know what you think. And then uh, we might want to come back and visit these cases uh, once they are said and done, just to uh, decide on whether or not the Department of Justice in the Supreme Court is doing their job. And it is we, the people, who should decide that and act upon it. Well, so the issue on that one is, should one person suffer for the crime of another, including even if it's a family member, if the person is innocent of all charges? It's a tough one. I think it's a good case for them. I think it definitely is controversial. Um, it probably ought not to be as controversial uh, as it is. 
the last case that I want to discuss with you, which is considered controversial, is a federal lawsuit immunity case. And this is the Department of Agriculture versus Curitz, court filed 22-846. And this involves a case where a Reginald Curtz said he received a credit report that mistakenly listed a rural housing service loan, which was given by the department as being past due, though he had actually paid it off. He disputed the report, which should have been, uh, brought uh, you know, the error to the department's attention immediately to resolve the case according to the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So there is... A, a ruling in place to say how this ought to have been handled. Well, the issue is that the department did not investigate the error and the department that issued the loan claims that Congress never intended to hold the federal government responsible for verifying credit information. Whoa, hey, it's not my job. You know, I, I'm just a credit loaner. Um, if if you paid it off and there was a mistake made, how are we supposed to know that? It's like, wait a minute, this, does that make any sense to you? It's another case of guilty until proven innocent, okay? Or more government oppression and overreach because nobody wants to take responsibility. So here we have a case where a federal government is responsible for something, but they don't want to take responsibility for it. They're, they're passing the buck saying it's not our job. If there was an error made, it's not our fault. Well, whose fault is it? Is the federal government responsible for any of its screwed up actions? Because no, they don't want to take accountability for anything in this day. Where is the accountability for doing harm to others. This happened to me just recently. I've been living in a camper for the last 15 months of uh, my life with my wife. And um, we finally just got a house. And one of my, I believe, four medical school loans I paid off at the 20-year mark because it was very low interest. So after 20 years of paying faithfully on these loans, I finally make my last payment, Yahoo. Well, when we applied uh, for a small loan for this house, they said, well, you have an outstanding payment on a medical school loan. I said, well, what do you mean? We paid that off. Well, you have to prove it. Well, we already did that one time in the past. How come this is still not yet resolved? It's exactly the same thing. But the burden was upon me to prove that I had paid them. Fortunately, my darling wife had preserved uh, the evidence and had gone through the process of verifying that it was, in fact, paid. They said, yes, it was, but they never made the correction. And guess what? They probably still have not made the correction. If I were to take out a loan in the future, I'd probably have to prove it again because it'll be a problem from now until the day I die. In fact, they might want to have my children or their children pay off the last payment of my medical school loan. That's the way it is in our government. So these are the issues that the Supreme Court is dealing with. Some are quite controversial, some more than others. But you know what I would ask? Um, what about all the critical issues pertaining to the preservation of our great nation, such as the federal government and their lack of border protection? How come that's not come before the Supreme Court? What about the treason committed by Joe Biden? What about allowing enemy foreigners to purchase American real estate and companies? 
Um, and what about free passes to billionaire elites who are affecting our public health, like Bill Gates and his mosquito experiments, where they're dumping these millions of genetically modified mosquitoes into the public? And Bill Gates's appeal, membrane covering of fruits and vegetables, which if you look this up, A-P-E-E-L, it's a contaminant. It is, it is not without risk. And what about the messenger RNA vaccines that they're injecting into our beef and swine industry right now? Um, what about the bioweapon labs, the two-tier injustice, voter fraud, election in interference? I mean, all these are humongous issues why are these not going to the Supreme Court? Look at what they are doing to Donald Trump. This is where I think the Supreme Court is dropping the ball. This is when I start to feel that they are spineless, that they are gutless, and that they are not willing to do their job when it comes to them possibly being persecuted like all the rest of us. Well, that's an issue that we will have to take up right now. We are uh, hopefully going to preserve our nation once and for all. We must save the 2024 election, make it fair, and we must bring to an end this oppressive government. That is our duty before God and our duty as constitutional Americans. Well, it is a pleasure to share truth with you to discuss things with you you have been listening to the great voice of a nation it is time to get involved and get loud america